Church audio podcast. To find out more information about North Shore Church, please visit us at mynsag.com. We hope you enjoy today's message. I'm glad you guys are here today with us. I hope you're doing good. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. We're going to get there in just a second. If you don't have a Bible with us, don't worry about it. All of our scripture will be on the screen here so you can follow along there. Matthew chapter 25 is this portion of scripture where Jesus is telling stories or parables of what the kingdom of heaven is like. And um, what he's doing is he's giving us a glimpse into God's culture, the culture of God, the the kingdom of God, the, the way that we need to operate, think, behave, act, and react. And so uh, Jesus, in these parables, when he talks about the kingdom of heaven, he's telling us the way that these principles and precepts are in place so that God's will and work can be done here on earth. And so he's talking about the kingdom of God, the culture of God, the atmosphere of God. This is how God operates. He wants us to have a really clear picture of what God's expectations are for us and how we can live and operate in this. And so he starts telling this story in verse 14 of Matthew chapter 25. He says this, For it is just like a man about to go on a journey. He called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents. And I want to just stop right there. In some of your translations, you may be reading a a different version here. Um, Some of them say money or others say bags of silver. And and that's what this talents means. And and just for uh, context, I was reading through one commentary earlier this week. And it said one talent was equal to 20 years wages for a laborer. Think about this. 20 years wages equals one talent. And so uh, imagine your boss is getting ready to go on like a, a sabbatical, maybe a two or three year long trip. And, and he was looking at his resources and his portfolio and, and he wants to make sure that things are taken care of. And so he calls you into his office and he sits down and he writes out a check and he slides it across the desk to you and it is worth a hundred years worth of salary. How many of you know that'd be a good day, Right? Come on. So you're like, yes, but you should go on trips more often. This is so good. And so that's what he did. So he gives the first guy five talents. To another, he gives two talents. And to another, one talent, depending on each one's ability. Now, there's something in that line. Depending on each one's ability. Now, it's funny because we are in this uh, politically correct culture and we know that everybody is equal no matter what anybody thinks, says, or does. But even in this, God is showing us through Scripture and the Master is showing us that, that though everybody has value, individuals have different talents and abilities. Yes? Amen. Um, there's some of you who want to come up in here and sing. But we're not going to let you come up and sing. Depending on each one's ability. Amen? Some of us wish we could dunk a basketball or wish we could do all sorts of things. But we don't have the ability. And listen, God didn't make a mistake when he gave you the abilities that he gave you. You need to know that. God didn't make a mistake when he gave you the talents that he gave you. And also, God didn't make a mistake when he withheld the talents that you so desperately desire. He knew exactly what he was doing. This is week three of our series, This Is Us. And 
What we've been doing is highlighting some of the core values that we believe lay at the heart of the culture of this church, is who we are. And so a couple weeks ago, we, we shared the first one, a life surrendered to Jesus is constantly growing. We talk about the fact that none of us have arrived. Whether you've been serving Jesus for 50 years or five minutes, we are all in process. We are all a part of the journey, trying to do our best to become more like Christ. And last week, Pastor RJ talked about their second value. No one is perfect. Everyone is welcome. That as a church, as a family of God, we need to have open arms and, and open hands, welcoming people that don't have a relationship with Christ, that, that, that may bring a little bit of a mess in with them because we believe that Jesus opened his arms for all of us when we were in our mess, and so we're going to do the same. Today, we're going to discuss core value number three, and it's this. Excellence honors God and inspires people. Excellence honors God and inspires people. And we're going to put these core values out there on the wall, out in the foyer. You see them out there, and uh, they're up there. And it, it can seem a little bit odd when you stack these two and three together. No one is perfect. Everyone is welcome. It seems like that's way over here. No one is perfect. Everyone is welcome. And then over here, we have excellence honors God and inspires people. And it seems like those two values contradict a little bit. Like, organizationally, we're a little bit bipolar. Where are we? Like, perfect or not perfect? And we're trying to chase one of these. But the truth is, these values are both absolutely necessary. Because though nobody is perfect, in all things, we strive for excellence. Amen? And we will never use, as a church, and, and we should never use, as individual believers, the, the reality, the truth, that nobody is perfect as an excuse to be organizationally, personally, and spiritually sloppy. We should never do that. Though we know nobody is perfect, we can't lean into that and say, so why even try? So I'm not going to do anything. No, we know nobody's perfect. And though we understand that nobody is perfect, we are going to do our absolute best, and we are going to strive for excellence in all things. Because we believe that excellence honors God. And we want to honor God in everything that we do here at this church. We want to honor God with our preaching, with the worship. We want to honor God in our kids' ministry and in our nursery and in Tiny Travelers. We want to honor God in the coffee shop. And we want to honor God with our ushers and security team and safety. We want to honor God with our sound. We want to honor God with our policies. Listen, um, we think really hard through a lot of the policies that we have in place that um, help structure the way the ministry is done here. And we spend time after time, we spend a lot of time thinking through those policies and we review them because we want to honor God in everything that we do. And we believe that when we operate in excellence, it honors God. We also believe that it inspires people. And we want people to be inspired every time they walk through these doors, every time they're a part of any of our ministries here at North Shore. We want people to be inspired. Just this last Wednesday, I had a, a conversation with a couple that's been attending our church for quite some time now, and, and they grew up in a church, and, and um, they're telling their story, and they're saying their story was more uh, about religion and sort of traditions and processes rather than relationship with God, and, and they were just talking to me about their journey a little bit and saying, man, just recently we've, 
we've started reading the Bible and we have a personal relationship with Jesus and it's real and it's different. And, and they're just talking about all of this personal spiritual growth that they've been going through. And, and we know it's the Holy Spirit, but, but they gave credit, some credit to the church and, and, and the way we present the gospel and some, some of our ministries as inspiring them to read the Bible, to get in the word and grow in their relationship with Jesus. And, and listen, I'm not gonna take any of the credit that goes to the Holy Spirit, but man, that made me feel good because that's what we want to do. We want to operate in a way that people are inspired to take another step in their relationship with Christ, saying, we are all moving towards Christ, come with us, and then when people start that journey and begin to come with us, it's so exciting and it's reason to celebrate because they are inspired to be more like Jesus. It's awesome, right? That's so good. So good. I was more excited about that than you are, obviously, but that's, okay, listen, Here's the problem. I, I, I was preaching really, really good in the first service, too, and they weren't, like, amening me or talking back or even laughing or anything like that. So, um, yeah, whatever. You guys just, I don't know, man. So we're going to talk about excellence a little bit. Talk about excellence, try to define that, and then we'll get back to our scripture in Matthew chapter 25. Excellence. It's a hard term. It's hard to define. It's hard to describe. So let's try to work through this a little bit. Just number one, I would say this. Excellence is not perfection. Excellence is not perfection. We are a people who drive ourselves crazy in this weird cultural obsession with perfection. We have to have the perfect little house and the perfect manicured yard and the perfect car and the perfect pets and the perfect kids who have to be on the right teams and, and we demand perfection from their schoolwork and their sports and, and everything else and we just absolutely demand perfection in everything. Here's the problem with that. When we pretend that we're perfect, it derails our efforts towards excellence. Because when we can do surface work and convince everybody that on the surface we have it all together, we don't have to do any of the real work that festers underneath. And so when we pretend that we're perfect, it keeps us from pursuing excellence. Let me give you an example. Um, you just saw that video that Melissa and I shot and, you know, telling you about the pie auction. So we shot that video here this week, and we were out in the foyer doing that, and um, uh, we kind of had a basic idea of what we wanted to say, and, and so Pastor RJ set up the camera, and we were standing there in our, in our spot there, but Pastor RJ had to leave, and so um, I had to go get Ashley, she's our children's pastor, to come in and, and <clears throat> turn the camera on and off so we could record us, and so we're standing there, and, <clears throat> you know, uh, trying to look good, as, you know, as good as we could, and uh, Ashley pushes, like, record, and, and I say what I say, and then Melissa doesn't speak, and so... Like, Melissa, like, when I speak, then you got to come, right? Don't wait for the pause. Just go. And so we do it again, and she pauses again. And then we're arguing back and forth, and then, and then she starts speaking right away, and then she stops, and then I messed up. And then so Melissa and I are, like, fighting right here in front of Ashley, and, um, and, and I'm saying, Melissa, you just got to go. And she said, I can't do this in one shot like you do. You do this all the time. I don't ever do this. And so we're arguing back and forth, and Ashley is over there like, should I be recording this or... Is this part of it? No, shut that off, you know? And then, and then so we're, we're bickering, and um, then we, like, march off in a huff, and we say, forget it, we'll do this later. And so we go back into the office, and we're talking, we're kind of fighting back and forth about what we want to say, how we want this to, to look, and then we come back, okay, Ashley, we're ready, and we get in our spot, and, you know, it's all smiles now, right? Because we got a video to do. And then 
So we shot it. We felt fine about it. And then, you know, uh, I'm writing my sermon for today. And RJ comes into my office. He's just giggling because he's editing the video. He's just giggling. <laughs> and uh, he comes in with his computer. He says, Chris, tell me what you did wrong here. And now I'm irritated, right? Because I'm full in, like, with the Holy Spirit and stuff, you know? Writing my message. He says, tell me what you did wrong. And I said, look, don't be a jerk coming in here telling me what I did wrong. I don't have time for this. And he's giggling. You know, he puts his thing down. He says, tell me what you did wrong. And he pushes play. And, and I see, you know, there's that picture of us. And Melissa's, you know, giving the announcement. And I'm mouthing the words with her. What a dummy, right? Ah! You know? And so, in all things, we try our best to operate in excellence, but we are far, far from perfect. Our ministry is far from perfect, but we pursue excellence. Our marriages are far from, my marriage is far from perfect, but we, we pursue excellence. We, we do our best. Excellence is not perfection. Excellence is not a sugar-coated reality. This a couple weeks ago, we were in um, Lincoln for district council. It's a, um, all of the, the pastors across Nebraska ordained with the Assemblies of God come together. We have to vote on things. We have to take care of some business. And one of the things we had to do is we had to elect some leaders for certain positions within the district. And what they've started doing is putting out a one-page paper for, like, what their leadership experience is, some strengths and weaknesses and stuff like that. Most of these guys we all know. And so you don't really read these things because you know them pretty well. And I was there just kind of looking it over, and RJ leans over, and he tapped on the page. He says, this is the only question that I care about. And it was what their weaknesses are, what they say their weaknesses are. He said, that's the only question that I care about. And so I thought, well, you know, I'll just read them and pay more attention to them. Um, you know, these men are men of integrity, and they answer honestly. And RJ says, nobody ever answers that honestly. And I'm like, you know, what are you talking about? And so I'm reading this and looking through what their weaknesses are, what they've written down as their weaknesses. And I'm not bashing these guys because I would have done the same thing. But as I'm reading their weaknesses, there are things like this. My weakness is sometimes I dream too big. Really? Because that doesn't sound like a weakness, you know? Sometimes I work too fast. I just get after it, and, and I go, 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 and sometimes I'm just too hard of a worker. Really? That's your weakness, you know? And, and, and so we and RJ were talking, and, um, and he said, I wonder what would happen if somebody was just honest in that. I wonder if they would get elected if they were just honest with that. What would happen if in that sheet somebody said, you know what, I'm massively insecure? Would they get voted in? If when you're in the hiring process and your boss is sitting across the table or your future boss potentially is sitting across the table and he says, tell me a weakness. And you said, I'm massively insecure. You think you'd get the job? What if you said, you know what? Honestly, here's the deal. I pretend I know what I'm doing when honestly I don't have a clue. <laughs> it's a little bit of a weakness, you know. I'm super judgmental, though I'll be really nice to your face. Come on, how many of you have a weakness in this place, right? Right? But we sugarcoat this. We pretend it's something that it's not. And the reality is, in our lives, in our churches, in our families, in our organizations, a lack of authentic evaluation will derail our efforts towards excellence. So we lie to ourselves all the time, saying that we're better than what we really are. Excellence is not always a win. Excellence isn't always a win. We are, we, are, we are obsessed with winning. We 
always try to tip the playing field so that we win. We always want to define the win and redefine the win so that we're in the winning category. But excellence isn't always a win. It's not always a win. So I played basketball in a small Bible college at CBC, and our team was pretty good. Um, but uh, when it came to size and athleticism, we were a one-talent team. We were really good skill-wise, but, but just speed, size, um, and athleticism, we were, you know, we're just, they all kind of looked like me. You know what I mean? Not like, wow, basketball player. No, we were a one-talent size athletic team when it came to basketball, though we were pretty good. Um, this one year, we had to play Pitt State. They were a Division II school, and uh, they were all like three and four talent people when it came to size and athleticism. Every single one of them was bigger than us. They were faster than us. They were stronger than us. Um, even, their, even their worst player on their team was bigger, faster, and stronger than any of our best players on our team. And so going in this, we knew that we were going to get destroyed. It was just one of those games. Um, they had to, they had to uh, schedule a, a team to play. Uh, they couldn't find anybody, so they scheduled us. And the way it works in college is that, you know, when you play lower divisions, you pay lower divisions to come and get their fannies whooped by your team. That's how it works. You know, that's just, the Huskers do the same thing. And so we come in. They do, right? Come on. Not with Scott Frost because he's a savior. No, we'll talk about that later. Anyway, so we come in knowing that we're going to get killed. And we played, and in the first half, we were only down by seven points. Seven points. And we go into this locker room. They didn't even really, they didn't even give us the real visitor's locker room. They just put us in this, like, closet thing that was because we were just a Bible college. And, um, and we were right next door to their locker room and and our walls were connected there and usually our coach would come in and he would say hey we got to do this we got to get better at this but we came in and and everybody was sort of quiet and we could hear their coach talking to them but he wasn't just talking to them he was screaming at them he was cussing at them and and listen I, I I don't cuss I don't like cuss words and stuff but that was the most glorious cursing I had ever heard in my life <laughs> it was so good so, I mean, he was just, he was letting them have it. He was like, they're a Bible college. And you're only beating them by seven points. And I mean, he's just reaming them up and down. He's saying, that guard, he's 130 pounds soaking wet, and he has no ability to use his left hand. He's just cussing this, cussing that, and this and that. And we're just sitting there, and we're giggling. I mean, like, this is awesome, right? They're getting cussed at because of us. It was just so wonderful. I mean, we were still losing, but, but it was wonderful. And then they came out the second half, and, and they, you know, they played a little better. We ended up losing by 20. But um, our coach, even who was usually yelling at us, he didn't cuss at us, but he yelled at us a lot. I mean, he was so excited that we only lost by 20 that he took us out for ice cream afterwards. <laughs> it was like Little League again. This is awesome, right? <clears throat> Excellence is not always winning is it it's not always the win lowering personal and spiritual goals and standards and expectations is like stacking the teams and then giving yourself a trophy when you win that's not excellence we're really good at lowering standards and lowering goals so that we can get over them and then pretending that we're better than what we are let's stop lying to ourselves let's stop kidding ourselves we do this all the time So what is excellence? Excellence is giving the best of us to glorify a magnificent God. 
It's giving the best of us, our very, very best, so that we can glorify a God that is infinitely greater than anyone we could ever impress. It's giving our best. Excuse me. You may be saying, but Pastor Chris, how can I glorify God if I'm only a one-talent person? And some of you have sort of self-identified. Maybe some of you think you're a five-talent person. Maybe some of you think you're a one-talent person. There may be one or two of you that are like a half-a-talent person in here. You know who you are. We know who you are, but we're not going to call you out. I'm just teasing. But you think, you know, how can I glorify God if I'm just a one-talent person? If If I don't have all the ability and the smarts and all of this, how can I glorify God? Well, that's simple. Give the best of who you are to honor him. Listen, if you're a five-talent person, give five talents to God to honor him. If you're a one-talent person, give one talent to God to honor him. If you're a a half-a-talent person, give half a talent to God to honor him. Give your very best. See, even in my mind, I struggle with this. I struggle with this insecurity because I watch some of the pastors on TV, some of these awesome pastors, and they're they're, um, just awesome in their delivery and their style and their funny and man they'll share something from scripture that I've never heard of or thought of before and and I'm just thinking wow these guys are amazing these are five talent pastors and and I can't ever honor a God or I can't ever honor God like these five talent pastors do because I'm only like a two talent pastor or a one talent pastor depending on whether you like me or not Um, but I could never honor God like these guys do and then what I do is I diminish God down to a five talent God And I think you do that too when you say, well, I don't have the gifts, the abilities to honor God appropriately. What you're doing in saying that you can't is you are diminishing God to just a five-talent God. Because if you say you're a one-talent person, you say, well, I can't honor God unless I'm a five-talent person, then what you're saying is only a five-talent person can honor a five-talent God, and God is infinitely more than a five-talent God. I thought that was better than how you responded, but that's okay. So let's do this. Let's finish our parable here in just a second, but let's go to Exodus chapter 25 first. I want to show you this. Exodus chapter 25, there's this portion of scripture where Moses is just recently led the Israelites out of Egyptian bondage, and God tells Moses to go up on top of Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights, and God is speaking to Moses up on top of Mount Sinai. And he's giving them instructions. He gives them the Ten Commandments, and he gives them some other instructions for the tabernacle, which is basically the traveling church. It's like a tent. It's a traveling tent that they're going to use for their church, as we would understand it. And he gives them some instructions on how to build the tent, the tabernacle, and all of the items in that. And I want you to see that God wants, he expects, and he demands our absolute best. I want you to help me out here. We're going to put a lot of scriptures up on the screen. And um, there's going to be underlined portions of these scriptures, and I want you to read these together. I want all of us to read these underlined portions of scriptures together so that we can kind of see the reoccurring theme here on what God expects. Exodus chapter 25, verse 8 says, Have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them. You must build this tabernacle and its furnishings exactly according to the pattern I will show you. So um, God is saying here, Moses, this is the pattern. I want you to do this exactly right. This isn't a suggestion I want you to follow this according to the word and the instruction that I give you do this exactly 
right. Verse 11, God is telling them how to build the Ark of the Covenant. And he says, overlay it inside and outside with pure gold. If you know what the Ark of the Covenant is, it's like a box with a lid on it with angels over it. It's pure gold. There's some like holy um, artifacts in there that God told them to put in there. And um, they had to carry this wherever they went. And it was like this, this thing that represented the holiness of God. And the thing about the Ark of the Covenant is once it was closed, nobody ever looked on the inside. So it's interesting that God would say, you have to put gold on the outside, which makes sense, but also the inside, which nobody is going to see the inside. So the question is, why do you have to put gold somewhere that nobody sees? Well, the answer is simple. You put gold on the inside where nobody sees because God sees what's on the inside. Amen? I, I, was, I wasn't going to make this connection for you, but let me, let me do this for you. There are things in your life that no one sees, but God does. And those things that no one sees matter in your life because God sees those things that no one sees. That's why we give our best. That's why we pursue excellence. Let's keep going. Verse 39. He says, you will need 75 pounds of pure gold for the lampstand and its accessories. Chapter 26, verse 1. Make the tabernacle from 10 curtains of what? Finely woven linen. Decorate the curtains with blue, purple, and scarlet thread and with skillfully embroidered cherubim. Verse 36. Make another curtain for the entrance to the sacred tent. Make it of finely woven linen and embroider it with what? Exquisite designs. Chapter 27, verse 16. For the entrance to the courtyard, make a curtain that is 30 feet long. Make it from finely woven linen and decorate it with beautiful embroidery. 28, verse 2. Make sacred garments for Aaron that are what? Glorious and beautiful. This seems like it matters to God, doesn't it? Like he's saying, do your best. Do your best. Do your best. Chapter 28, verse 6. The craftsman must make the ephod of finely woven linen and skillfully embroider it. Verse 15, then, read this together, with great skill and care, make a chess piece to be worn for seeking a decision from God. Over and over again, it's give your best, 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 give your best. And then this is what God does. God fills two men with the Holy Spirit, Bezalel and Ohiliab. He fills with the Holy Spirit so that they could oversee and complete the work. And so sometimes our natural talents and abilities get us close but not quite there. And so what does God do? God says, I have a job for you. I have a mission for you. You're gonna give your life to honor me and to glorify me. You're gonna give your absolute best. I'm gonna give you my absolute best. And so he gives his Holy Spirit to fill us up with power, strength, wisdom, and anointing so that we can continue to honor God with excellence. This is how it works. This is how the kingdom of God works. God wants our best. He deserves our best. So in all we do, we have to strive for excellence. We willingly give our best. Now, this doesn't mean that we have to put gold on everything or change the way we look or dress. It doesn't mean that we have to be perfect because we're not perfect. It just means that we have to stop pretending that God is okay with half-hearted service and sloppy sacrifice to him. We gotta stop that. And we gotta start giving him our absolute best. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 25 and let's finish this parable. So verse 14, again, it says this. For it is like a man about to go on a journey. He called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them. 
To one he gave five talents, to another two talents, and to another one talent, depending on each one's ability. Um, just, I want to stop and say something. I believe with all of my heart that a church full of one-talent people who operate in excellence by giving their very best to God have the ability to radically change their community. We love the five-talent people that we have, but we don't need one of them. Because a church that is all in with God, full of one-talent people who are radically committed to God's will and his word will change a community like that. We know this because Scripture tells us that the disciples were mostly one-talent people. Scripture even says that, that when people talk about the disciples, they, they identified them as unlearned men, kind of outcasts of the society. And they were shocked. How can these unlearned men be turning the world upside down for Christ? I'll tell you why. It's because these one-talent men gave their entire talent to a glorious God. And God was doing amazing things. And so... The five talents, the two talents, the one talent. Then he went to a journey. Immediately the man who had received five talents went, put them to work, and earned five more. Verse 17, in the same way, the man with two earned two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. I want to stop. I want to think about this for a second. Um, if your boss came in and wrote a check for 20 years' worth of salary and handed it to you, how many of you would be pretty thrilled about that? Right? But this is what happened, it seems, that this man saw one guy get five talents, another guy get two talents, and he only gets one talent. He only got 20 years worth of income given to him. And I think that if the one talent guy would have kept his eyes on the generosity of the master, rather than looking over here and comparing himself to other people, I think his response would have been entirely different. And I think us, if we stop comparing ourselves to other people and stop looking to God with gratitude and thanksgiving and saying, thank you for all of the opportunities. Thank you for all of the privilege. Thank you for everything you have given me, Lord. I'm giving it all back to you. I think that we would respond a lot different than if we stopped comparing ourselves to other people. Let's keep going. So he went and hid his master's money. Verse 19, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with him. The man who had received five talents approached, presented five more talents, and said, Master, you've given me five talents. See, I have earned five more talents. The master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. This gives you a glimpse into the wealth of God as well. So this master called 100 years worth of income a few things. Now, you've got to be pretty wealthy to call 100 years' worth of income just a small piece, right? And again, this represents the overwhelming wealth of God. And it shows us that anything we give back to him is small, right? It says, you've been faithful over a few things. I'm going to give you lots of things. Share your master's joy. Verse 22, the man with two talents also approached. He said, master, you gave me two talents. See, I've earned two more talents. So the first guy gave his master 100 years worth of profit. The second guy gave his master 40 years worth of profit. How is he going to respond? Is it going to be a little different in his response? You see in verse 23, it's exactly the same. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The response is the exact same. The promotion is the exact same. 
Verse 24, the man who had received one talent also approached and said, Master, I know you, you're a harsh man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid and went off and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. He didn't bring any increase. He didn't bring any effort. He didn't bring any talents back. The only thing the third guy brought back was excuses. That's it. Excuses are the number one enemy of excellence. I think it's important for us to pay attention to the excuses we make to God. I think that we need to flag those in our mind. When we're talking to God or, or, or hearing the, the challenge of the Holy Spirit in our life when he's compelling us to move, I, I think that we really have to pay attention to the excuses that we make. Because those excuses are enemies of excellence. Always. They, they just are. I can't serve God because. I don't give because. I stopped reading scripture because. I don't honor God in my thought life because. I, I don't honor God in my marriage because. I don't tell my coworkers about Jesus anymore because. I don't bring my kids to church because. Whenever we make excuses, we are deterring our efforts towards excellence. We're not giving God our best. You're bearing the talents of God when you make excuses. Verse 26, his master replied to him, and this is what we think, this is how we think God would react. We think that if that would happen, God would say, look, you know, I, ah, this stinks, man. It's a bummer because you just have, you, you're, you don't know my character well enough, and I really just want you to know my character, that I'm not going to be mad at you. You know, I'm not, a, I'm not a bad guy. You know, we think God would respond like, man, you know, well, sure it would, would have been nice if you had invested it a little bit, but, you know, I get it. I get it. You were scared. You were nervous. I probably didn't coach you well enough. I, I probably didn't give you, a, you know, good enough leadership. Or, you know, and so, man, it's my fault. You know, and we think that's kind of how God would respond, but I want you to see what, what the master says. He says, you evil, lazy servant, if you knew that I reap where I don't sow and gather where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers and I would have received my money back with interest when I return. So the master takes his talent, he gives it to the 10 talent guy. So the 10 talent guy now has 11 talents and he says in verse 30, and throw this good for nothing servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And that, Jesus says, is what the kingdom of God is like. Now, that response seems a little harsh, but if this matters to Jesus, then shouldn't it matter to us if this is such a big deal to God, shouldn't it be a big deal to us? That's why we believe excellence honors God and inspires people. Let me give one final illustration. It's one that I've used before. Um, and then we're going to do a little bit of an application and we're going to pray and go. Because that's how you do an excellent sermon. That's the structure. That's how you do it. So, um, so I've preached well over 800 sermons since pastoring here, you know, the youth, associate, all those things. I've preached well over 800 sermons. And uh, so, so that's a lot of sermons. I was more impressed with myself than you obviously are with me. But I just felt like, wow, that's a lot of sermons. Um, hook, line, and sinker. Got it. So, uh, so yeah, uh, that's a lot of sermons. And so I do reuse illustrations from time to time. Like, forgive me, right? 800 sermons. But um, I feel like, you know, self-judging, like I'm a, probably a two to three talent preacher. 
You know, and I'm not saying this so that afterwards you'll come up to me and say, oh, Pastor Chris, you're a five talent, you're a ten talent. You know, you don't have to do that. That's not what I'm doing that. But I feel like I'm a two, three talent preacher. If, if you disagree, if you think I'm a one talent preacher, then I don't want to hear from you. If you think I'm better, <laughs> maybe write a card, put some money in it. Let me know. So um, I preached a lot. My son has preached once when he was 11 years old. He's 12 now, but he's preached one sermon when he was 11. It was Christmas 2016, and it was to our family. And I gotta be honest with you, it was a one-talent sermon. I'm not being mean. I, I, I want you to see this. I, I think this is important. Comparatively to me, his dad, who has preached over 800 sermons, his transitions weren't nearly as good as mine. His thesis statement could have been worded a lot better. His delivery needed some work. Um, he kept speaking through a joke that he told, and we were all laughing, but he kept talking. He didn't pause for laughter and then pick it up after our laughter was over. He just kept speaking through it. And also, the altar call was a little bit lacking. You know, I know all of us were saved in the room, except for maybe Pastor RJ, but, but it was still lacking in the altar call. Also, there were presents that had been handed out that were ready to unwrap, and so everybody was kind of antsy with it, but... But so it was a one talent sermon, but it was delivered with excellence. It was dripping with excellence. He gave his absolute best. Everything that he had to give in that message, he gave. And it wasn't just a, a cutesy little, oh, look at this little boy. He's trying to be like his daddy. He's giving his sermon. It wasn't like that at all. It was awesome. It was awesome. It was Christ centered, it was culturally relevant. It really was. It was funny. There was a piece of the message that took a turn that I didn't see coming, and when he went there, I was like, wow, that's good. Like, secretly taking notes, you know? It was so good. It was wisdom from an 11-year-old that an 11-year-old shouldn't possess. The prayer at the end of his message was anointed. It was so good. We were all gathered around in our, in our seats down there in the basement, and like, presents were everywhere, and I look over at my mom, and uh, my mom's like all tearing up, you know, she's crying. Like, oh, this is so good, you know. I look over at grandma, she's bawling. And I mean, uh, grandma, she's awesome, she's wonderful, she's a beautiful lady, but it was ugly crying, honestly. It was, it was, <laughs> somebody snap a picture of her. Like, just bawling, just ugly crying. My dad is sitting over here on the chair. You know, holding one of the one of his grandkids, and and he's given he's giving him amen. It's like amen, come preach, brother. And uh, and it wasn't just like you know, like oh, you're doing a good job. I mean, he was amening because it was worthy of an amen. You know, Melissa, sitting next to me, and we got our kids and some of the presents around. She leans over and she says, "Did you write this for him?" No, you know. So that was either really good or that shows you what she thinks about my sermons. See, pause for laughter. That's how it's done. But it was so good. It was so good. And I know that God was honored. And it's a moment in my life that I will never forget. I know that God was honored. And we all collectively were inspired. And that's what excellence does. Regardless of talent, 
wealth, and ability, excellence honors God and inspires people. You've seen videos on online and Facebook and those sorts of things of people doing ordinary average things with excellence. And every time you see it, whether they're chopping a pineapple or laying brick, they're doing it with excellence and you're like, wow, it's awesome. Excellence honors God and inspires people. Colossians chapter three, verse 17 says, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, do it with excellence. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Do it all. So if you're going to serve, serve with excellence. If you're going to teach, teach with excellence. If you're going to coach, coach with excellence. If you're going to parent, if you're going to play, if you're going to protect and defend, if you're going to cook, if you're going to weld, if you're going to review policies or write policies, do it with excellence. If you're going to sing, sing with excellence. If you're going to work in, in healthcare, if you're going to be a doctor, a physician, or a surgeon, anything like that, do it with excellence. If you're going to cut hair, cut hair with excellence. If you're going to sew, sew with excellence. Whatever you do, do it with excellence as unto the Lord. Give him your talents. Give him your ability because God is honored when we give our best. God is honored and people are inspired. The kingdom is advanced when we give our best. Stand your feet all across this place. So this is who we strive to be. We aren't there yet. We're not perfect, but we're striving towards excellence. We're committed to keep moving in this direction. And so we often ask ourselves, how can we get better? Where can we get better? I wonder when's the last time you've asked yourself that? How can I get better? Where can I get better? Where can I get better in my relationship with Jesus? Where can I get better in my marriage? Where can I get better in, in my job? Where, where can I get better? And how can I honor God? Is God honored by your work ethic? Is he honored in your marriage? Is he honored in your parenting? Is he honored in your relationships? Is he honored in your service? Am I giving my best or am I bringing excuses? I had this thought in the first service, I wonder what would happen if God just showed up and he sat down right here, big old God throne. And he made us all line up. Got this line running down the aisle here, all the way back out the door. And he says, I want you to come. I want you to stand here, and I want you to give me an account of the talents that I've given you. How have you used them? I wonder how many of us would bring stories of faithfulness and God using us and, and us putting to use the talents that God has given us and how many of us would bring excuses? Well, God, I mean, uh, I know I'm just so busy and I'm trying to get my head above water and I'm just, oh man, I just got all this stuff going on and I don't have the time for this. Okay, excuse. How many of us would bring stories? How many of us would bring excuses? We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to connect with us or if you want more information about North Shore Church, please visit mynsag.com.